This right here, folks, is the United States Grand Prix review on the Inside Line F1 podcast. And on this episode, we are going to be talking a lot about planks. Not the one on SpongeBob, not the one you do in the gym, but also the one on the bottom of a Formula One car. Why is it so important? And why was that the reason why Leclerc and Hamilton got taken away from the race? And why was that the reason why Logan Sargent scored his first ever points? More on that, more on Verstappen and his dominance, more on the weekend as a whole. How did it work out? And crucially, how on earth did Mercedes and McLaren end up losing a race that they controlled for such a long period? That's going to be the agenda of this weekend and of this race review on the Inside Line F1 podcast. But very quickly, let's firstly introduce ourselves. My name is Somal Arora. I'm the voice of the MotoGP Indian Grand Prix and also the host of the Indian Racing League on Star Sports. Joined as always by firstly Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team an FIA-accredited F1 journalist for the Viaplay Network, and also an occasional TV expert in Norway as well. And of course, F1 stats guru, fresh off a stint in the F1 Academy as well, with the stats finally being used on that broadcast there as well. But folks, that is us. Let's very quickly get to the Grand Prix. Now, what happened at the end was very simple, Kunal. Verstappen dominating once again, winning in the sprint, winning in the main race. He came from P5, very patient at the start, very unlike Max, actually from the very past. But then the control seeped in. And even though Mercedes and McLaren seemed to have decent pace towards the mid and the end, respectively, it just couldn't trouble Max. And I have a question for you. What is the definition of insanity in your head, Kunal? Like, very quickly, what do you think of when you say a person is insane? When they try a one-stop strategy in Austin, I would say that's probably a bit of insanity (laughs) out there. And uh, I remember, I think 2019, Lewis tried it and got beaten by Valtteri Bottas. Of course, the whole formula was different. All the variables were different back then. But that's just, again, recency bias at play. But that's insanity for me. And I think Charles Leclerc actually said this in his post-race media pen. He said, I don't know how how this worked out. Like, I just, the biggest learning for me today is that you can't do the race in Austin on a one-stopper. And then he said that Ferrari's <laughs> numbers indicated that a one-stopper would just be as good as a two-stopper. And so they decided to put him on a one-stopper. <laughs> Isn't it fun, though, that since we have the sprint, we can't quite actually validate these things in a good free practice. So we just throw everything in the mix and figure it out. But in my head, Sundaram, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. We play out the same strategic masterclass of a race for 18, 20 times in a season and expect someone else apart from Max to win. I think we're honestly just stupid, really. <laughs> you know, this race immediately took me back to my 7th grade math lesson on constants and variables. There have been (laughs) a few constants. For example, Max Verstappen winning every single race, Charles Leclerc starting on pole and then dropping down the grid, quite clearly due to tire tire deg issues, tire issues, and Ferrari not opting for the most ideal strategy. And in terms of variables, we saw Yuki Tsunoda taking a point. Uh, He he even took the fastest lap. Lance Stroll taking a point, finally getting points after the summer break. And he had Logan Sargent, in fact, both the Williams cars, scoring points. So quite a bit of... (laughs) Guys, quite a bit of both happening through this weekend. Wait, I don't feel the energy. What's up? Logan Sargent has scored a point, guys. We need to celebrate this. Make some noise. Come on. (laughs) I don't think so. Anyone's celebrating it better than you, Somal. But it's... Uh, actually, uh, you know what? We'll get to Logan Sargent in a second. We really want to talk about him. But let's very quickly uh, look at the main race results, right? Because we are incredibly clear 
that Verstappen is the constant at the top. But what I genuinely want to talk about immediately is why Hamilton and Leclerc were disqualified. Because quite clearly, Kunal, they had a race built up, especially Lewis, right? With that new Mercedes floor upgrade. upgrade. You could tell that that second place was very well earned. But then to be disqualified because their plank, the plank at the bottom of their car that's needed for safety reasons, was not thick enough because it got skidded away during the race. I mean, what do you tell a kid who's just built a beautiful sandcastle and then someone just walks in and destroys it. Like, seriously, what do you tell a kid? It depends if the kid is George Russell or Lewis Hamilton, isn't it? But but the question has to be asked, was Lewis's pace genuinely because of the upgrades? Or was it because they were running the car a little lower than expected or than it should have been run? And hence, the car was deemed illegal, right? And that's a word that can really hurt, especially... Imagine this, in a country or rather in a world where there are so many car manufacturers only the elite get to participate in formula one and red bull an energy drinks company could figure the plank the ride height correctly even though it cost them performance but ferrari and mercedes didn't end up doing that and of course we can attribute this to human error obviously or, or or an engineering error because of the sprint race weekend but this is also what i love about the sprint race weekend i mean Four out of 10 teams had set up issues. Ferrari and Mercedes, as we know, got, you know, because of illegal, the cars not conforming to the technical regulations were sort of off. But also Haas and Aston Martin decided to start from the pit lane because they're like, oh, my God, we got the setup all wrong. We'd rather, you know, change the whole car and start from the pit lane then start from the back of the grid and, you know, drive with a bad car. So four out of 10 teams, that's 40% of the grid that got the setup wrong this time. No, but it's ridiculous because of that, Sundaram. We saw so many, uh, I, I wouldn't say mishaps, but sort of mismanagement in races in a way, because some cars were slower or faster than we expected them to be. But the main talking point, right, why did the FIA take away Hamilton's well-earned P2 and also Leclerc's P6, inconsequential at the end, but that's okay. But the, the the way the checking goes quite simply is very clear, right? At least that's how it happens in domestic motorsport. Uh, P1 is always checked, quite simply by the, uh, by the scrutineers, right? You have to do that as a norm. Normally, when P1 is checked, they also check the car in P4 because quite simply, that is the next one that will get promoted if something's wrong with P1. After that's done, normally things are okay, usually. Then they go to P2 and the car in P5. Now, in this case, in the provisional results, that was Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc. Both of them, unfortunately, suffering from the same result. And now now that they will be taken off, they will then check car number three and then car number six. And eventually, that's how the way things go. And if there's a general trend, they might pull up more cars. Or if there are other people generally protesting. For instance, if they notice something funny in the engine, right, a team going to a certain level of RPM band that nobody has ever extracted, and then someone protests, maybe they'll check that for all the cars with the same engine. But generally, that's how it works. And in this whole pulling of strands, Sundaram, they very randomly pulled up, I wouldn't say very randomly, but they pulled up Lewis and Leclerc, and all of the things that made a good race have been vanished now. Like Lewis's podium, like, wasn't that incredible to watch? Absolutely. I think one of the things that actually made this race enjoyable was the fact that the balance kept shifting across multiple teams and that's what we really enjoyed you didn't you never really knew if it was going to be a red bull win or is it going to be a mercedes win or is it going to be a mclaren win but going back to the previous point that we discussed before this i think the reason why a lot of teams do not have their setups finalized is also because that's what formula one wants or the fi wants the scheduling 
causes these little uh, problems or the unpredictability that's what they were looking for the more you have in terms of practice sessions the more you're able to fine tune your setup and that's how the more predictable the race ends up to be when you have only one practice session there's going to be a bunch of teams who don't have the setups in, in the right order there are a bunch of things that teams don't check like in this case with mercedes and ferrari not a lot of teams were able to do high high fuel runs and they were not really able to measure how much the plank uh, gets eroded or rubbed away and now coming back to this point of how because a lot of people have been asking was it randomly checked and fia's technical delegate does look at certain indicators before the race during the race and even after the race and the scheduling when current scheduling is such that we have a sprint shootout we have sprint qualifying we have a sprint race and it's also a triple header yeah. so there's only so much time available to actually check every single car so they really have to pick out the cars based on certain indicators it's definitely not random and and what are those indicators during the race if the titanium skid plate if it gets what's the right word rubbed away a bit too much it emits a certain odor and that kind of triggers an alarm for you that okay this is one of the cars that we probably have to check they also check a lot of indicators during the race they check for the driver footage if their head is bumping yeah. a lot uh, if the car the car is is bumping a lot on straight so and plus also the the circuit's characteristics qatar had a lot of high raced curbs so that is why a lot of cars were checked post race not as much for the previous races in 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 austin the track surface is very bumpy and it changes year on year so that's why there were up to four cars that were actually picked out and checked and probably they felt that these indicators were not there for the sister cars a lot of people have been asking this very question why didn't they check this for the other teams or why didn't they check the sister cars the technical delegate probably didn't feel that those indicators really raised any sort of an alarm and that's why just these four were picked in addition to what you said and at the end of the day also who has really protested for it like if there was a major championship implication to it you know for a fact the other team would be protesting and immediately the stewards would have to pick it up if it's an official legally registered protest that's a long lengthy fia based story but let's not get into that today let's get more into the race and if you were wondering about the results if you were confused about all that just happened well we'll give you a very quick download once again firstly folks uh, we had max verstappen winning clearly very easy no problems at all but now as a result of that disqualification we saw lewis hamilton being taken out so lando norris gets second carlos sainz is third sergio perez were well, here guys finally in p4 and then we have russell in p5 pierre gasly making it p6 lance stroll in seventh yuki sonoda eighth alex albon ninth logan sargent 10th and most importantly of them all after a terrible strategy daniel ricardo on his return in p15 But we'll get back with the main talking points in a second. We'll be back. Stay right here. Welcome back in, folks, to the Inside Line F1 podcast. Now we have it very, very clear about why Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc were disqualified. But what I want to talk to you about now, Kunal, and what I generally also am very eager to put it out there, is Mercedes's conservatism. Because we saw the float upgrade work well in the sprint. We saw the float upgrade work well in qualifying. Ish, they were closer than before. clearly and in the main race right that haunting pace from lewis hamilton the really scared landon norris at the end you could feel that this car suddenly is turned on turned on by what is a different question i'll leave that to your imagination but something went right clearly now where do you think they really lost it do you think apart from the dq that is assuming in a good ideal world the dq didn't happen but 
I genuinely felt that in the first pit stop, Mercedes were, I think, caught out by the sprint weekend format because they didn't have enough time to prepare. So they went for a half-baked choice of going for a one-stopper. And clearly that didn't work out. But do you think they were too conservative? In your well, mind? you know, depends how you see it. In my, in my mind, McLaren and Mercedes knew all along that Red Bull and Max Verstappen, or rather Max Verstappen in that Red Bull, had the pace to win and was going to win. They knew that eventually they're going to see track position to him. So they realized that the only way to try and get him was to try something different on strategy, right? Because when they tried something different on strategy, at least they were giving themselves a chance. If they were all pitting within each other's windows, trying just that one lap undercut or overcut, it wasn't going to work, right? And that's the reason why they tried what they did. So they eventually tried the one-stopper. I think both Zach Brown and Toto Wolf alluded to it post-race. And we thought we'll do the one-stopper. Then we realized that the one-stopper was actually not working out. And then they suddenly had to switch mid-race. And in all of this, I loved what Red Bull was able to do. Because Red Bull turned around and said, okay, we don't have track position. But what we do know is the more we keep Max in clean air and the more we just run through the optimal stint lengths for our car we will eventually be the faster car on the grid and we will of course have to make overtakes which is what max did even though overtaking was not just as easy as you know has as easy as you know as it's been for him before so it was it was just down to mercedes trying to do it differently were they conservative well i would i would probably imagine they were just you know like okay we got to roll the dice and see where it lands and you know now Mercedes is, of course, wondering that, uh, you know, was their pace uh, or the true pace masked by the fact that they ran lower, at least on Lewis's car? So that's probably going to be one variable that's playing on their head as well. You know, there's, there's also the point um, that, like like we discussed earlier on as well, Verstappen didn't really have it easy. And starting from P6, he didn't really overtake um, for the lead, I think, after the first 15 or 20 laps. It took him that long. And... Verstappen, he literally sounded flustered during the whole race. He was literally being put to test by by the tires, by the strategy. So there was a lot happening there. Um, and even his even Red Bull's pit stops weren't the quickest. Verstappen had a 2.5 second pit stop and a 3.3 second pit stop, the second one. They were not, I would say, usually how perfect they are and the they've been in the other races. They were really not as perfect uh, in the US Grand Prix. But I really have a bone to pick with Mercedes, and this has been long coming. We've seen what McLaren has been doing over the last couple of seasons with improving their pit stop stop times. Mercedes has been going the other way. Ever since 2020, 2021, 2022, and 2023 now, for the last three seasons, Mercedes have not been putting fast pit stop times. They're somewhere at the bottom, I think, sixth or seventh amongst the 10 teams in terms of changing tyres. Yesterday, Lewis Hamilton had a 2.6 second pit stop. And his second pit stop, the more crucial pit stop, was, I think, 3.6 seconds. And you have McLaren and the other teams doing close to 2.1, 2.2, 2.3. If Mercedes had done just a, a second quicker, at least a second quicker, 2.6, Lewis Hamilton would have been much, much closer and probably even in DRS range to Max Verstappen on the final lap. And it probably doesn't matter as much in the other races because you're really not battling as close, probably in the midfield. But when Red Bull really slips up, you cannot afford to have these sort of other mistakes. And even a second really, really But did, did Red Bull really slip up? That's what I'm wondering. Because they just had to run their car a little higher because of the bumpy nature of the circuit. And 
to avoid plank wear. And you, yeah, you're right, Sundaram, though. You know that Mercedes should have been a little more sharp because the first stop came late. They were sort of in the middle of nowhere, plan A, plan B, plan C, or plan D, depending if you're Ferrari, right? But uh, they lost some seven, eight seconds in the first stop and some more seconds in the second stop trying to be out of sequence, trying to, you know, try and high-speed game of chess, but you know you're losing. You know, that's uh, that's how it was. And maybe they, maybe Hamilton would have been, you know, uh, would have been closer to Max. Maybe there was a, there would have been a battle out there. Uh, who knows? But eventually, he would have still been disqualified for for the setup change. But yeah, I think we should leave the disqualification on the side. But the the way I also see it is, McLaren would be you know uh, not feeling too bad after not just the result, but the disqualification still means that they were the second fastest car. And uh, some more you know depth if we were to take within the race results and. You know, I liked how you picked up Yuki Sonoda extra point for the fastest lap. That's because he had such a ma- massive margin to P11 in, you know, Alexander Alban at that time, who, of course, had a had a time penalty as well. But very interestingly, Pierre Gasly got eighth place, but was still 23 seconds away from... Uh, George Russell in seventh. Of course, I'm I'm just reading out the old race results. So this is very confusing for everybody. But the gaps were such that, you know, there was like like Sommel says, Formula One and suddenly McLaren and Mercedes were within the Formula One range because Max finished what 2.2 seconds ahead. Then Formula 1.5 was about 23 or 20 seconds with Alpine and the likes. And Alpha Tauri was a part of Formula 1.5 because imagine an Alpha Tauri in 10th place could say, I'm going to make the extra stop and I'm going to get the extra point. So all all in all, it, it was a different race. It wasn't the most entertaining one, if I may put it as that. Lots of strategy that was there, but different narratives within within the whole field out there. And of course, the narrative that hogged the limelight was the disqualification. But it shouldn't take away from the fact that Red Bull, Max Verstappen delivered a brilliant race. Hannah Schmitz, again, shown as she normally does, as she always does on the pit lane. And also Lewis Hamilton, he just seemed more fired up than usual. I don't know if it's because he was racing in America, had some of his celebrity friends there, or just that this new floor suits him and is is giving him what he wants from a race car. But Hamilton was a delight to watch. I mean, imagine saying to anyone in the outside world, right, I just need a new floor and my life will change completely. They look at you like, what? Are you stupid? What do you mean new floor? But... On Hamilton and the race, I think one very interesting thing to watch this weekend was just Lewis Hamilton so focused in the middle of his game. Now, in any other sport, we can't quite listen to the athlete in the middle of a battle as much as we can in Formula 1, right? Imagine a cricketer facing a ball while batting in the final of a World Cup and then hearing their thoughts. Or say a footballer, again, playing in a major league as well, for instance. In the NFL, they've tried, but I don't think you can get as raw and as unfiltered as a Formula One driver in the middle of a race. And when you heard Lewis Hamilton say, no shit, Max is closing up, that was amazing because you could tell the way he's thinking. Like, yes, I know that's happening. What can I do about it? Just that psychology of Lewis as well. Like, buddy, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm giving it my best. To know what goes on in the mind of an athlete right in the middle of their competitive uh, battle of sorts, I think that is... Phenomenal. And I'm firstly so grateful that we get to see access to technology like that. But the second thing about the main race, and this is the interesting part, Sundaram, it's a lot like uh, it's a lot like expecting the result of an experiment where you put Mentos and Coke in a bottle and, expe- and expecting like a big blast. Except this was more like putting soda into water with lemon 
and getting a small fizz. It it takes more time for the main race to compound. And this one was more of that. It was not like a instant pop bang, lots of chaos because of many different variables. I think the fact that the race took its time to compound and let all the variables mix up, like the strategy, the lack of practice, the new flow, the driving ability, the plank. I think that really made for a good mix at the end because all the variables eventually ended up finishing where they are meant to finish. Like if you put rocks in a bottle of water, they will eventually sink down. And that is exactly what we saw today. Uh, that's a very good point. And that's exactly what happened. Eventually, Verstappen did when Lando Norris came second, Hamilton was there on the podium. But the fact was that I think people were a little miffed or, or unhappy with the way how sprint the sprint race went. And it kind of gave out a lot of how the tyre wear is going to be or how the tyres are going to react as well. So people were a little unhappy with how the sprint went and they kind of predicted that it's going to be a pretty straightforward race and it is far from it. And when you have differing tyre strategies, like one, one driver's on a medium, another is on a hard, the race will always go into the final stages of, of the race yeah. and you, you can't really figure out who's going to be winning it. And that's what really happened. And on, on the last trade, I think Hamilton was 1.5 seconds, 1.3 seconds. You, you look that it's, it's, it's that close, it's that fine <laughs> margin. One lap more and probably it would have been a different story altogether. And, and that's that's the fun part of it. When you see a race being decided on the final lap, on the final few corners, that's when you feel this, that, yeah, you've, you've, had, you've enjoyed you know, the race. You know, when GP came up to read the gap to Max Verstappen, saying, Max, it's 3.6. And by the way, Max was facing a lot of issues with his brakes. He had to change his brakes on Saturday. He wasn't comfortable with it, etc. So that's what the, those were the issues that he was, you know, referring to on the radio each, each time, time and time again. But one, one second, when GP said, you know, gap to Lewis is 3.6 and he was saying, don't speak to me in the braking area, whatever. That was, that was fun. But at that time, I was just wondering if that was a hidden message to say, you know, we're in America the biggest fan base market that we're trying to attract. Could you slow down a little and, you know, let Lewis finish a little closer to you? And is that why it came down to 1.1, 1.2? And then eventually Max is like, 2.2 is fine. You know, it's just half of 44.4 yeah. or 44. Anyway, but I mean, I'm just making joke of it. But, you know, this whole, this whole talk of, you know, one more lap, uh, Lando Norris said, you know, had I had one more lap, I would have had a podium in the sprint or something. I never understand this concept. If I had more of this, yeah. I would have done that and my life would have been different. And if I, I mean, it beats me. But anyway, you just had 56 laps and I'm glad you all made it count. If my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a bike. <laughs> well, I'm sure we've all heard of that. But it's time for a lame joke alert, right? The reason maybe Max is having brake issues is because he's quite simply at this moment in time, unstoppable. Ta-dum. Let's talk about Ferrari. Uh, we had we had a Ferrari on poles on the rum. And I think it really helps out with your uh, sort of love for trends in Formula 1. Because yet again, I think it's the 10th race in a row where Charles Leclerc has taken a pole. I mean, 10th pole position of Leclerc, where he hasn't quite converted it into a Grand Prix win. We didn't expect this to happen anyway. I mean, looking at the pace, looking at the first and the way they were managing their tyres, it was evident that, yes, while at some circuits their problem of managing the degradation was better than others, this one wasn't that one. I mean, uh, over here, they really badly got exposed in that regard. Pace wasn't really the best. They had a scrappy battle here and there in the middle as well. Uh, What went wrong, according to you, all the way through for Ferrari? Because I genuinely can't pick it out. Like it's, It's at this stage where it's like, where can you go from here now, honestly? I mean, 
I've honestly not even checked that stat to be very honest. I'm not even seeing how many <laughs> wins Verstappen has taken off Charles Leclerc poles. The only fact being that's happened so many times. I mean, no matter where Verstappen starts, if Leclerc is on pole, he has to end up winning. I mean, Verstappen has to end up winning. Um, but but for Ferrari, I think like I said, there's been a bunch of constants. I mean, within the first lap itself, first corner itself, you could kind of realize that it was kind of ending for Leclerc's hopes of winning this race because. They were being really affected by tyre wear, and I felt that the fact that we had, this was a sprint weekend and probably not a lot of teams had a lot of running on the hard tyres, so they really don't know how long those tyres could extend to. And Ferrari, in that sense, really tried to take a gamble and see maybe it was conservative or whatever it is. But mm. you can still see those little issues with strategy creeping in, and then for some reason, I've I've just been noticing this over the season. Ferrari's race engineers, I mean Leclerc or, or Sainz's race engineers, don't sound very inspiring uh, when they're speaking uh, to their drivers. It sounds very shaky. It sounds uh, they sound very nervous. <laughs> Ten laps or eight laps of the race end, uh, to end, they they go ahead and ask if he can do a plan C. I'm not sure if it really instills confidence in Leclerc and Sainz, but I mean take take an example of GP or Bono. When you ask a question, you get a straight answer with a lot of confidence. In Ferrari's case, it's like, yeah, we're checking. What do you think? Can we do C? Can we do B? What are your thoughts? Let us know. And I, I don't know how the drivers tend to feel after that. This is where the whole plan C, plan D conversations came in, and Ferrari are still on, you know, the <laughs> alphabet thing. But you know, honestly, uh Race engineers at after a point are just uh, messengers to the drivers. There's a strategy team that's filling them in, asking them what's what. And then the race engineers are literally just getting feedback from the driver and their view, which is where the whole question comes up for Ferrari specifically. Uh, but also, I think, you know, a little bit of flack less for the Ferrari dry, race engineers, because if you're not British, you and, for, you know, if English is not your first language, then... You don't always you don't always sound as good or as confident as you would in in you know native languages, whether it's Spanish or whether it's is Italian or the likes. And do you guys remember from the was it the the Friday pole uh, position contest where Xavi actually came up on the radio to say so lap time deleted for Verstappen, and then Charles Leclerc blew a lid and he said F F S. Okay, I'm, you guys know what that means. But yeah, he said, FFS, say the name first. Okay, and then Xavi, as expected, actually turned around and said, Verstappen, lap time deleted. Okay, so he's he was just following instructions <laughs> of his star driver. But all in all, I think for Ferrari, at least in the race, they admitted that they read the strategy wrong. And that was the cause of their downfall with Charles Leclerc with with Carlos Sainz, they believe actually they maximized the race strategy as we could. Now, I don't know if they were, it was them who decided on their race strategy of, or if it was Carlos Sainz himself. I like that Ferrari kind of plays the role of a therapist as a driver. Because if you go into a conversation with anyone who studied psychology, they'll become enablers in a way. They won't give you the answers to your questions, but they'll enable you to find them on your own. So on your pursuit of truth and destiny. So whenever Leclerc has a question in the middle of a race, right? That, hey, should we go on the hard compound tires? The engineer should simply respond saying, I don't know, should we? And put it back to Leclerc because eventually you are the one who will find your own destiny. Figure it out. You've got to be independent on your own. Only you are the one who knows all the answers. So why bother relying on anyone else? It's a, it's good leadership, isn't it, Kunal? I quite it like is. This. And you know, whoever decided to put the soft on Carlos Sainz's car in the sprint as well, because... 19 cars on the medium, yeah. 
one car on the soft and you would have just you know this is a pub quiz which race there was one race that happened in history there were 19 cars that took the medium one car took the soft didn't win the race on the soft which team do you think it was and there's a very high chance people would just say ferrari and i wonder if there was carlos signs just saying i'll take the soft and manage and he managed pretty well so that he saved an extra medium for the main race on sunday but we also have, uh, I think for once, and this is where Ram, one of our listeners, very active on social media, would be pleased. Aston Martin got the setup wrong, started both the cars from the pit lane. Lance Stroll scored points from the pit lane. Incredible. Yeah, we let that sink in. Let's have a two-minute silence in celebration. My God, it's incredible. Uh uh, I, I don't know what to feel, Kunal. I don't know what to feel because this should have been Fernando Alonso's points, realistically. Uh, I mean, they both would have gotten points. Yes, the way things go. But Alonso, unfortunate with that retirement in the middle of that race. But, you know, I really want to talk about Aston Martin for a second for this very reason. Because they're now representing what Yamaha and Honda have been in MotoGP for the last two years. For context, got-tier manufacturers have won uncountable number of world championships. But in the recent years, they've been so far flung back in the development war that the only thing they do when an upgrade comes in is use the old part because they feel they're more comfortable with it. Aston Martin came in with new parts this time out. They're like, no, we want to use the old setup, the Qatar setup, because we're more comfortable with that. And this is a trend that's been happening for a few races now for them. And they're in that stage where their new advancements aren't quite as good as their old parts. They aren't quite as comfortable. Are they not taking enough risks? Are the new developments not good enough? What's really happening there? Because from the standards that we set early on in the year, Sundaram, celebrating P7 for Lance Stroll is like, like, where are we now? It's a good thing, like, but still, where, where have we come to? The, the, the Aston Martin story is a bit of a sad one. I think there's quite um, an exciting one towards the start of the season, seeing them take, what, seven podiums. But the way they've literally fallen off the cliff in, in every single race since, I don't know, Austria, was it? It's it's kind of really uh, sad to see, and the really good um, thing that they can take out from this race was that they managed to take points. Lance Stroll managed to take points when starting from the pit lane, and I think Fernando Alonso had his first retirement of the year. He's he's not uh, gone so long in a season. If I'm not wrong, I really have to check this. I don't think so. He's gone so long into a season without so. a yeah. single retirement. <laughs> um, what? Yeah, I, I think it's what yeah. is this race number eighteen. What is this? He's, just, he's just preparing <laughs> for one big retirement at the end of the year, considering thing, the way things are yeah, going. This, oh is <laughs> this is race 18. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, coming back to Aston Martin, they've dropped below McLaren in the standings and they have a healthy lead against Alpine. And it's, it's quite sad to see a team that was probably fighting for P2 in the championship has come down all the way down to P5. I think that that's an improvement of two points from last wow. year. Yay! Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. know if you can sell it. You know, talking of points, Lando Norris is now ahead of Charles Leclerc in the drivers' championship, and you know, about twenty-two points away from Carlos Sainz. I'd love to see if he's able to go catch Carlos Sainz. And uh, the the recovery, the the rate at which Aston Martin has dropped, McLaren has climbed two x of that. You know, since that Aust- Aust- Austria upgrade. But uh, also, you know, we spoke about Ferrari. Just one quick thing. I think on the grid. Charles actually told Pierre uh, Gasly that he was going to one-stop. And Pierre Gasly was like, no effing way. Okay. The cute thing was that Charles actually believed that he could 
pre-race just share with Pierre Gasly, who's his friend, that I'm going to do a one-stopper. I I mean, if they were competing for the championship, oh. he probably wouldn't. But he knows that Alpine is nowhere uh, amongst the uh, amongst the fight for Ferrari. Uh, but, uh, you know, we were on Aston Martin and Fernando Alonso took the old floor. Lance Stroll took the new floor. I don't know. Conventional logic would be, make you believe that you want to do the other way around. But, you know, you know who whose father owns the team. Or maybe, you know, Fernando just turned around and said, I would rather do the old floor because I've done enough on the new floor to know, uh, you know, to do an actual uh, in-race in, in weekend comparison and do it as a test. And then finally, Logan Sargent, he scored a point. Home race. Only bummer is that he didn't get to do it live in front of his fans, in front of home fans, assuming he's got a lot of American home fans. And he actually did a decent race because he was just 1.2 seconds behind Alexander Albin. Of course, Albin had those time penalties. I think we're bad people. Come on, Kunal. We should celebrate this a little bit more. I mean, we legitimately made an episode slandering his uh, uh, Williams' decision to put him in the seat next year. But genuinely, like all jokes and sarcasm aside, which is hard to do at times... It's a good result. I mean, even though it's needed two cars to be disqualified, five cars to be taken away from the main race because of retirement or some sort of other issues, many others to go on stupid strategies. But whatever it was, we got a point for Williams and Logan Sargent. And what this does in my head, Sundaram, is also just place them at a certain level now. Now that they have proven that they can, even in weird circumstances at least, that is, but get points from both cars. I think it really puts pressure on them for next year to make the right choice. That, hey, even if your worst driver can get points, imagine how good you would be with a good one. So, it's a, I know it's a bit of a somber take on a guy scoring his first ever points in Formula 1. But I, I see potential. I, I see Williams potentially maybe being in that fight with the likes of the Alfa Romeos and Alfa Tauris on a more consistent basis rather than just once in a while popping up and being P4 and Zandvoort. It's really been a while since we've seen a Williams car being being competitive. Uh, they, they are competitive on, on, in in the odd race, and even their upturn has been very very interesting to see the last couple of seasons. And that show, that gives us a lot of confidence to see that this team is able to make those decisions. I think they've been really spot on in certain uh, situations in terms of strategy, uh, going the long way and and. Uh, going on a one-stopper and really putting a lot of bulk of the pressure on Alex Albon, who's also been doing extremely well. And and the sort of question that you asked, I'm, I'm just wondering why hasn't Aston, Aston Martin asked that very same question or if they've asked it, why, why aren't they acting on it? Uh, but yes, it's going to be very interesting to see if that car really has the potential. You really want two of your best drivers to be there. And then probably there are other reasons why Logan Sargent is in their second seat as well. And that's something they have to really take care of as well. Um but as long as he's able to end the season in good fashion, if he's really able to show that he can learn through this and he can really bring in the results, however few few occasions that we have that on, uh, then I don't know. <laughs> if, if it was me, if it was me, I would have gone with maybe a Liam Lawson or someone else. That was personal, dude. Come on, that is a slight dig. But I'll tell, you, I'll, 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 I'll tell you what... Um, <laughs> Logan Sargent, actually, him scoring points or no is irrelevant in certain cases because they also check progression and so on. Scoring a point is just a big, sh- you know, weight off your shoulders or monkey off your back, whatever you call it. But in the post-race uh, pit-to-car team radio channel, Williams actually, you know, commended Logan's build-up through the weekend. They said, that's what we were talking about when it came to building up on the Sunday. 
and they said he actually delivered a very good race and that's what matters to them more because getting through the process is more important than just the final result especially any sport that you play and then interestingly the only thing that logan picked as something he could have worked on and he didn't do very well was pit stops and he said i wasn't stopping on the marks as I should and he said I will try and do better there and the team said yes we all learn together and grow from there so all in all a great result for Logan sometimes you know just this is where the confidence seeps in this is where the momentum as we've spoken about several times just helps you I mean at no point do we want a driver to make it to Formula One and then not stay there right unless it's yeah. just there because of nepotism right as as we call it or just because your daddy owns a team but we're here because we love the drivers we love them as athletes and and the personalities that they are and it would be great to just see all of them you know you know driving to their best capabilities and that's the end of my philosophy lesson unless it's Jacques Villeneuve I wouldn't want him to stay for a very very long time either he was just a menace but TK that's a different thing altogether Jacques I hope you're not listening to this but uh, folks that is the end of the 2023 USGP review episode on the Inside Line F1 podcast while we end I just have one small question for you what on earth is a kilometer I hope we've gotten that answer this weekend because if we didn't we'll get the answer next to next week when Formula 1 comes back to Las Vegas but before that there's an important race the Mexican GP comes up this time next week as well and we'll be back on the Inside Line F1 podcast for that preview episode so I'll see you over there for that one take care folks thank you for listening subscribe to the podcast on all platforms and all channels and a big thank you to Amazon Music for making this happen see you folks and I'll be back for the Mexican GP preview bye bye